Richard McHenry, host of The Writer's Voice, and my guest today is R.V. Wood. How are you, Richard? I'm really good, Linda. Thanks for having me on the show. Glad to have you. Folks, we're going to be talking about what comes next today. What happens after you write your book? What do you do to get it on the shelves? What do you do to have people read it to become a famous best-selling author? And Richard is going to help us discuss that. He and I have completely different backgrounds and different ways we've approached that subject. So we're going to chat about that. First, he's going to talk to us about his writing. He tends to write speculative dark fiction. So why don't you explain to us, Richard, what that entails and what it is you do? Sure. Speculative fiction really kind of covers fantasy. It covers science fiction. It covers horror. It's what I tend to lean towards is the more horrific. I like developing three-dimensional characters and then throwing something completely out of left field at them to see what they do. And my writing tends to be darker fantasy, urban fantasy, horror-based. My latest book uh, that's coming out next year is what a lot of people are calling a supernatural thriller. So that's all encompassed with uh, speculative dark fiction. So all the wild and crazy things happen that are not light and fuzzy and warm and cuddly and stuff that you'd see like on the Hallmark channel. It's like the opposite (laughs) of that. (laughs) Maybe you could call it the Hellmark channel. I don't know, but it is the opposite. I mean, we all have light and dark sides, right? We all have thoughts that aren't the nicest in the world. and, And we've seen a lot of that play out over the last couple of years, but I like to play with those emotions. I mean, horror is one of the few genres that's based on emotion as opposed to a specific thing. And I like to play with those emotions. I like to see how people would react. I'm not talking the splatterpunk type stuff where there's yeah. blood on the walls, etc. But I do like to throw people in a situation that is completely unfamiliar to them and quite frankly, unusual to see how they would react. And I well, doesn't that. that create more conflict? I would think that if you're, if you're dealing with the darker emotions and the sadness and the fear and the danger and the imminent threat of death, I would think that you probably have a whole lot more ability to come up with conflict. You almost have too much conflict. You know, if anybody pitched the idea of the year 2020, for example, <laughs> to a publisher or to a director, they would have thrown them and laughed them out of the office and said, not all that is going to happen. I mean, if you put murder hornets in the first act, you need to use them by the second act, right? Yeah. But that's an extreme example of what's done here. Oh, there's a kitty. <laughs> there's a kitty, yes. Sorry, I've got six of them, so. <laughs> well, he's 17 years old, and he thinks he's my assistant when I'm doing webinars and I do recordings. So Mr. Murphy is just part of the show, I guess. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Cats are her friends. Yes, they are. And I guess writers too. I guess a a lot of writers have dogs and cats, I think, because we're probably introverts and we probably don't get out much. What I find interesting about writers or artists in general is they're introverted to a point, but there's also an extroverted part to them. The number of writers I know that play or used to play or can play in a band, for example, is unbelievable. I, you know, I've talked about that with a couple of people too, because I'm basically an introvert, but I spent my whole adult life, my career um, in sales. And it's one of those things where I prefer to be by myself and I recharge by myself. 
but life doesn't let you stay by yourself. I mean, you know, my mother was a kid, wanted to grow up and be a hermit, you know, and it's like, you can't do that, not and survive. So I think that there's a lot of writers that are like that. I mean, there's plenty who are shy and reserved and, you know, don't like that. But I mean, I don't know about you, but if I go to a party, I'd rather go to a party with five or six people than a party with a hundred people. Absolutely, because then you can talk to each one and really kind of get to know them. Right. But it's interesting that you bring that up because writers do have a tendency to generalize here, to work alone. But what we are going to talk about today requires expertise that a writer may not have or a process that involves a lot of people. That's one of the challenges for writers to overcome is on the business side of the house, you need to understand marketing, you need to understand return on investment, and all of these business terms and these business functions that you may not be familiar with, and you may have to work with other people to get that done. Well, you absolutely have to work with other people. The thing is, though, is you need to understand ROI and you need to understand investment, but you don't need to understand it with those words. Mm -hmm. So for people like you who have an MBA and an MFA and you have all kinds of education, you go to school, you're trained, you understand the principles, they're ingrained in you at a very young age. For people like me who didn't graduate from college, okay, people who maybe start writing later in life, people who maybe mm -hmm. never worked in business, they can still understand the concepts. The basic concepts aren't complex. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are complex can be explained in a way so that anybody can understand them. And the other thing that, that writers don't understand is they don't have to do it all themselves. And in fact, it's probably better that you don't. You need to be part of a team. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want to edit your own book, right? You want uh, a professional editor to put a, a fresh set of eyes on it because you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes, right? right absolutely. It's, you know what you intended, but you can't tell if the outcome is what you intended because someone else has to read it. You're only one reader. You see it clear in your mind because you've written it. Now, are you actually conveying the thought the way you thought you were? Right. right? You're only one reader. Like with the beta readers, you know, this is probably something we should talk a little bit about because I mm -hmm. think the importance of beta readers, even before you submit to an agent or publisher is huge. Because again, you need the different perspectives. If three people say, there's something wrong here, guess what? <laughs> there's something wrong, you know? And that's why a group of beta readers, I had a group of 20 beta readers for Bio Whispers mm -hmm. and some of them didn't return anything. So you always have a little more than, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people get busy and time frames slip. Mm -hmm. But when three or four people point out the same thing, you know, you need to look at that. And you right. also need to be comfortable enough with yourself to take that critique and say, hmm, I just want to be better and I want to make it better. And these guys have pointed out something that um, I think I need to look at. And you need to put the ego on the shelf and make the best work possible. And I think this is one of those skills that everybody can actually become thicker skinned based on what they do at work. Me being in sales, a lot of people can't deal with sales because they view the nose as rejection. Mm -hmm. I never viewed the nose as rejection. I understand you know, the law of numbers. And I understand that in order to achieve a yes in sales, you have to talk to a certain number of people. And based on your education training, your ability to persuade what, you know, a whole bunch of other things. Okay. There's a number formula and you just reduce it to, in order to sell so many, whatever insurance policies, refrigerators, I need to ask this number of people to buy them. And really that is the basics of sales. So when, once I realized it was math, Okay. And yeah, if I learned 
and did certain things, my numbers would go up a little, but I mean, still the basics are there. So I stopped taking it personal. It's like, okay, that's one of the no's I have to hit to get some more yeses. So whatever job you're working in, try to find the practical pragmatic equation to the no's. And I think the law of numbers is perfect. I agree with you, especially as a writer, if you don't have a thick skin, you need to find something else to do because the number of rejections that you're going to get, you know, you look at someone like JK Rowling, who is pretty much rejected across the board before somebody finally picked up the Harry Potter series, right? Mm -hmm. And that happens with everyone. I mean, even the Beatles were told that they don't have any talent and their music was terrible. Well, you know, if you're going to be successful at something, you're going to have to get those sort of no's and those sort of rejections just because not everybody has the same vision you do. Finding the people with the same vision is key to success as well, especially in the, in the business. If you're a salesperson or a, an executive, which is what I spent 33 years right. in corporate near the end of my career doing, you really are there to get to a certain point. You set a direction, you set a goal. And if your goal and you're marching to that same sort of corporate goal as a salesperson, like you were, for example, mm -hmm. then you know you're hitting it. You have a common dialogue of language that you can use with your boss and the head of sales and even your customers to get that product in the customer's hand. Well, I think the other thing too, that a lot of writers lose sight of in that early stage before you can throw your ego away and develop the thick skin is think about the books you like to read. How many of us will read anything and enjoy it? <laughs> How many of us love fiction and nonfiction, like speculative fiction and romance, mm -hmm. okay? Like cozy mysteries and true crime. None of us likes everything. So, and then think about all the writers in a particular field. Let's say you're going to evaluate police procedurals. Do you like every single author, every single book in that genre? No. So why would you expect every single agent and every single publisher to like each submission? Well, that's a very interesting point because a lot of what you do as a writer, you know, you're writing something that you have a story that you have on your mind. But if you're approaching it from a business perspective as well, I'm not saying only because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that makes writing to a two-dimensional type process. Mm -hmm. But if you say, what is the feeling out in the marketplace right now, you have a better chance of selling your story. For example, if you look at the call outs and you look at uh, the open submissions for anthologies and short stories and, and novellas and, and things of that nature, and you see that there's a lot of people who are currently are looking at stories about dystopian governments. I wonder why, mm. right? <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a reason why um, The Handmaid's Tale, having come out in the 80s, all of a sudden have a TV show that's very popular and the book itself is incredibly popular and a sequel finally came out from that. There's a reason for that. Octavia Butler's A Parable of the Sower that came out in the 80s is incredibly uh, relevant today. These are people who were visionary and saw that there was going to be a need for that sort of story told. And that's kind of part of what you're doing as an artist as well. You're interpreting these times. There's no better time to be an author or an artist than when there is societal discourse. Right. Because 
future generations are going to look at the writings and the art of the time to try and understand the time. Take a look at anything that was developed in the 60s during the incredibly chaotic time in our in our society mm -hmm. and the art and the music and things that came out of that time period are all really unique to that time period, but tell a story across the board, what it was like. And what do they say about history repeating itself? <laughs> We're seeing a lot of that. And that's the whole thing. In a basic way, the groups and the bands that I grew up with in the early 70s, my kids, as they got older, oh, they're still popular, they're coming back. I think that has a lot to do with it. So when it comes to the business of writing, the craft is part of it. Mm -hmm. And that is the basis and the foundation of it. But again, a lot of people say, yeah, but I have to write what calls to me. I have to write the book of my heart. Yeah, you do. But if that's all you're thinking about, no one else is going to read the book of your heart because you're not going to be able to sell it. Okay. They'll find it after you died. Okay. Maybe mm -hmm. if they decide they want to read it. Assuming the person who goes through your effects is somebody who likes that kind of stuff you wrote. <laughs> It'll end up in a dumpster, right? <laughs> if it's my kids, probably. <laughs> but right. uh, but you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are a lot of people who want to write what is in their heart. And I say, do that. Do that and enjoy that experience. But if you want to be a professional writer, there are market forces you have to take into account as well. And people hate it when I say that. And people really do not enjoy thinking about the business of writing. It's a job. It's like writer's block. I have to be honest with you. Writer's block um, doesn't exist. I agree. You're the only person I've ever heard who said that. There are going to be days that you're going to write absolute garbage, but as long as you're writing that day, it's good. There are days you don't feel like going to work. This is a job, right? And if you approach it like that, and you approach it with that sort of dedication, not, oh, I don't feel like, I'm not feeling the writing today. There are some people who are like that, and I say more power to them, but they're not going to be successful business people in this field. The thing is, for me, I've never believed in writer's block, but I'm the kind of person who I write for a day job. So I write insurance technical books, mm -hmm. okay, continuing education textbooks. And I write other things. I write webinars. I write, you know, all kinds of different things. But the point is, I have to sit down and write every day for my job. But if I'm not feeling it today and I only write two hours, tomorrow I'm going to write five hours or I'll work on the weekend. Yesterday, I took off to do the dentist and a bunch of other things. Today, I'm going to write four hours on this financial course I'm, I've been working on. And just because you have to write every day doesn't mean that you literally have to write 2,000 words or six hours every day. The other thing that I do that has always helped me not have writer's block is I'm always working on multiple projects at the same time. I'm working on my fiction plus my work stuff, plus my writer's voice or, or my blogs, or I actually usually have two books going at the same time in different phases. So if for some reason I call myself blocked on this project, I push it aside and I go work on something else. So I'm always writing. It doesn't matter what I write. And that's the thing for me. I have yeah. to write. I don't care what I'm writing. I'll journal if I can't write anything else. And I have to tell you, I'm very much the same way. I'll have multiple projects going. I'm part of a writer's group that we do a lot of flash fiction, just uh -huh. so it's a large group. So we all get a chance to read and we all uh -huh. get a chance to critique each other's work. It's a good group of people. 
but that's, you know, uh, writing 800 uh, to 1500 words for flash fiction is a great exercise, especially if you're stuck on a scene. Stuck on a scene is very different than writer's block. If you're stuck on a scene, it just means you're still processing that sort of work, but it doesn't mean everything grinds to a halt while you process that. Right, move to another scene. I've started using Scrivener earlier this year. Oh, and what, what I a great love application. What I love about that is for me, when I was writing a book and I was doing it in Word, it's just one continuous thing and you tend to go in a linear fashion. But in Scrivener, if you want to write in a linear fashion, you can. But if something's not working and you have your outline in there, you can jump ahead to another point. Or if I'm in the shower, which is when the best ideas come, I see the scene. Well, I can just write the scene. I can put it where I think it needs to go and you can move it around. Exactly. For those of you who say your outliners are not panthers, you really need to do both. You do. And you need to keep, give yourself enough room for the work to kind of grow. But you also need to be a little bit disciplined in what you're putting together. So it's a it's a combination there. There are people who are strictly pantsers and fly by the seat of their pants. And there are people who are strict, detailed outliners. And I think like our political system, you know, the far ends of either either spectrum are not, not a good way to approach it. At least it isn't for me. Well, I don't think they really are that way. I think just because not you have a 90-10 thing going isn't an always or never. Right. And everybody has a different degree. So you and I might tend to be more 50-50 or 60-40. Someone mm -hmm. else might be 90-10. But I really doubt that there are that there's any writer that's 100-0 one way or the other because they would never be able to finish it. <laughs> There are a lot of people who don't finish their writing. All right. But when I'm talking about someone who completes a manuscript or someone who writes, and yep. I've never outlined anything. Yeah, you have. Maybe you didn't put it down in paper, mm -hmm. but you outlined. You did. I'm so old fashioned that I still use index cards and a blackboard right behind me. There is a, yep. a blackboard that I jot out my ideas that become scenes and then the scenes become an outline. And that's a guide that I use for my writing. But there's always room for those aha moments, which I love during the writing process. Richard, it's been a really good chat. We will have you back in April when that book comes out. Oh, thank and you. And I just want everybody to know I'm putting together some panels. So for those of you listeners who if there's anything you want to hear about, I'm putting together some panels of writers. We're going to probably have some live Zoom things. Zoom things. You think as a writer, I'd come up with a better word than thing. We're going to have some live Zoom events with some writers. So if you have any questions or whatever, reach out to me on the website. So you can find Richard at his website at rbwood.com. And where are you on social media so people can find you? So I'm on Twitter at uh, rbwood. You'll see me in my nice white Panama hat, otherwise oh, yeah. known as the Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter hat. Okay. You'll find me on Facebook and I have a page, R.B. Wood Writer. And like you, I have a podcast called the Word Count Podcast. We just finished our hundredth show. Our 10th season has ended and uh, we're looking to, to move on to do some different things next year, I think. There's flash fiction stories based on a prompt for everyone's listening pleasure and the show's free. And you can find those shows linked right on my website. So there's a list of anthologies and books I've put out already. I also have an Amazon page. Just look under R.B. Wood. There we go. As another writer said, you can find your books where all good books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> 
we'll go with that. I think. You like that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Richard, thank you. It's been great to have you. We're going to be having you back again. Take it easy. Thanks, Linda. Take care of yourself. Be safe. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening in for the first part of my conversation with R.B. Wood. He will be joining me again on episode 34 to finish up the conversation. That'll be on January 13th, 2021. Hope you can join us. Take care.